a black woman who has been a friend of mine for over 30 years was about to drive to Phoenix to deal with a business emergency. She would be leaving about three in the morning in order to arrive in time for a late morning meeting. She told me that she was trying to persuade a friend to accompany her in her journey. She explained, it's not to help with the driving. I can handle that. And I know that women aren't afraid to make a solo trip like that. It's just that it's Arizona. And people sometimes slow down in front of you or bump you in the rear or try to force you off the road. She paused and she said, you know, it's because you're black. And then she went on to tell me about a number of such incidents of members of her family as they, as they travel lonely roads at night. Later, I reflected on the conversation. I was following her as she went through the, the various uh, reasons for needing a traveling companion. My mind went through the possible reasons as she suggest, suggested them. Help with driving, yeah, I like, need help with driving. If we're traveling a distance, my wife does more than I do. The vulnerability a woman may feel driving alone, but when she finally got to the real reason, you know it's because you're black. I got it, but I realized it took her saying it for me to get it. If I were a black person, she probably wouldn't have had to add that explanation. I would have felt it right from the beginning. I realized I had just encountered a graphic illustration of the fact that racism is still a problem in our everyday lives in America in 2022. It's still in me. It's still in her. It's still in that aggressive Arizona driver. Some voices today proclaim loudly that racism is a thing of the past in our society. It's been resolved. We shouldn't teach our children about it in schools. It's disloyal and unpatriotic to say that it still exists today and must be addressed. And we're fanning the flames of unrest by creating problems where there are none. A black person in America, like my friend, should be happy and satisfied with the degree of equality she enjoys. And I, as a white person in America, should feel free from any guilt that I enjoy, some privileges and advantages. The only way we can live with such ambiguity is to surround ourselves with filters. And these filters shut us up to realities that we unconsciously don't want to hear, want to hear. These filters may be space. She lives over there, I live over here. Maybe distance, maybe language 
Sometimes we have a secret language that others in our subgroup understand, but others don't. Things like know your place, limit interaction, don't stir up trouble. So I wear my white filter, my friend wears her black filter. Many of us wear Christian filters that keep us from fully relating to the non-Christians around us. Our sermon series, we're entitling our Bible, The Question Book. And we've been looking through some of the really critical attention-grabbing questions in the Bible. And we've come to this one, which is our question of the day. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And immediately, <clears throat> I thought, as I started considering what I would say today, of Mr. Rogers. Who wouldn't think of Mr. Rogers? Let's go back. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day, beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine, could you be mine, won't you be my neighbor? you be my neighbor. Francois Clemens, hi, welcome. Thank you, how you doing? Fine, how are you today? Fine. My feet were tired, so I thought I'd just soak them for a while in this water. Does it make them feel better? It does. Would you like to try? Sure. On the show, he would say, I love you just the way you are. One day I said, Fred, were you talking to me? And he looked at me and he said, Yes, I've been talking to you for two years, and you finally heard me today. And I just collapsed into his arms. I, was, I started crying. I, that's when I knew that I loved him. There are many ways to say I love you. There are many ways to say I care about you. No man had ever told me that he loved me like that. I needed to hear it all my life. My dad never told me. My stepfather never told me. So from then on, he became my surrogate father. I'm so proud of you, Francois. Oh, thank you, Fred. Thank I you. help you here? Thank you. Actually, that's a clip from the 2018 documentary on the history of Mr. Rogers. But the, and that was a reenactment of the sharing of the feet in the pool, which first showed in 1969. 1969, when Francois Clemens was early in his time as Officer Clemens, 
was right in the middle of the civil rights movement. And blacks were being turned away from public swimming pools. The segregation of pools was an issue. And Fred put it right out there. That was a beautiful thing and powerful. And Francois Clemens always appreciated that. Now, he went on, he was a musician, first and foremost. He was a scholar on the spiritual. He grew up in the church. And he uh, actually developed uh, a historical group dedicated to rediscovering some of the lost spirituals. He was an opera singer. And he was on his alumni he was an alumni of Middlebury College, and he was the emeritus artist in residence. To my knowledge, he still is today. But there's an interesting piece of this story. As much as Fred Rogers took a stand by putting his feet in the pool there and sharing his towel, there was another aspect to Francois Clemens that Fred was not quite ready for, that he was gay. And the show, the producers, including Fred Rogers, wanted to make sure he did not come out. And they did everything they could to keep that a secret. In his latter days, uh, uh, Francois Clemens tells that story himself. What are our filters? Sometimes we filter one thing and not another. Who are the others? that we can't bring into our circle of nearness. But Fred Rogers, who was a real believer, had an example in the super neighbor who inspired him, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to read our scripture passage today from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do that, and you will live. The expert in the law was the expert in the religious law. He's called a lawyer in some passages and that in that some translations. And that may make you feel um, that he was a lawyer in our modern sense, but he was a student of the scripture. He was an expert in the law. And he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? My friends, Everybody around you is asking that question deep inside of them. They know this life is fragile, whether they're believers in Christ or in some other religion or non-believers. They still fear what's going to happen on the other side of the grave. Every one of them, and you as well. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's a legitimate question everybody has, but in this case, the lawyer meant it as a trick question, as a test, because there was discussion of this in his world of that day. Who is my neighbor? And it turns out that some people 
we're limiting the world of neighborliness by religious definitions. And some were saying, well, yes, but obviously he means a Jewish neighbor, not a non-Jew, when you're told to love your neighbor as yourself. The first part of that statement, the answer Jesus gave, or the answer the uh, lawyer gave to Jesus is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your mind. Every Jew of that generation and every practicing Jew of this generation knows that by heart because it's part of the Shema prayer, which is prayed every morning and evening by every faithful Jew and has been throughout history. It comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. Anytime you see a Jewish door with a mezuzah on it, you wonder what's in that little box? This is what's in that little box, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The next piece of that, that he adds, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's not in that box. That comes from a different part of the Old Testament law, in fact, from Leviticus uh, chapter 19 and verse eight. And it's just part of a list of relatively mundane commandments that are given. But right in the middle of that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself and it jumps out. And scholars have tried to argue it down and limit it. But Jesus was not limiting it. He was asserting it as part of our responsibility to others. The law can be seen, the Old Testament law, as a summary as summarized by these two commandments. The law was given to Moses on uh, our traditional view on clay tablets. And these clay tablets, this is kind of a, a breakdown a summary of the law. But you see the first um, four of these, which are listed on the left, relate to our relationship with God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. The, last six of them, which are listed on the right, are all having to do with our relationship with one another. So in Jesus' mind, this is a summary of the whole law, how we relate to God, how we relate to each other. And the how we relate to each other is uh, summarized by the words, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. So the scholar was right to try to justify himself, to try to vindicate himself by saying, well, who is my neighbor? Because if I can limit that, if I can get that down with all my filters to where it's manageable, then I can say, yes, I love my neighbor. Jesus wouldn't let him do that. Jesus could have answered in a scholarly way and because he was capable of arguing the law. But instead, Jesus answered with a story. And I'm going to read the story. It's very familiar from verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw me, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, 
a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged the wounds, teaching, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I will repay you more than you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Which was a neighbor? Not which one saw him as a neighbor, but which one was being a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Let's look at the five individuals in this story. Now, you didn't know there were five because we just think of the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. But there's also the man by the roadside and there's the man Jesus was talking to. So we're gonna start with that man that Jesus was talking to, the lawyer or the expert in the law. Uh, today, scholars of the law are known as rabbis, and the rabbinic movement was just taking off in Jesus' day, and it was replacing the traditional temple uh, leadership as the powerful voice in Judaism. So the law expert really was over against people like the priests and Levites. They were competitors for control of Jewish law. So the priest represented people descended from Aaron, the brother of Moses, and these were the lifelong dedicated servants in the temple whose profession was worshiping God on behalf of the people. The Levites were also from a priestly class, or at least they were from that tribe all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. The priests were the cream of the crop by birth. And the Levite, they were still a rank above in the eyes of Jews, worthy of more respect. And then there is the Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were half Jews is too, giving them too much credit. They were despised because... They did not accept the traditional Jewish teachings. They did accept the Torah. They had their own temple and priests, and they had rituals of purity and so forth. But in the Jewish mind, the idea, we, had, we call this story the parable of the Good Samaritan. A, 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 a righteous Jew of that day would say, Good Samaritan? That's a contradiction in terms. There are no Good Samaritans. Then you have a man. He's not defined any more than that. We don't know that he has any tribal identification. We don't know whether he's a rich man or a poor man. The assumption is that he might be a poor man because the Samaritan, when he took him to the inn, he said, take care of him, here's some money, I'll give you more if it costs more. So maybe he was someone who had no means. And here's a picture of a caste system in a society that's not our society. But we can identify with that. We have things like that in our world today. And so here are these people who kind of represent us. 
Who is my neighbor? Which one of these is acting as a neighbor? Who is it I can see or who can see me when my filter is turned on? Who do the story characters see as their neighbor? Now the priest and the Levite had a real problem because they had a ritual uncleanness if they touched a dead body, they could not serve in the temple. And if they touched blood, they were ritually unclean. Interestingly, the Samaritan had the same taboo about touching blood, but he did it anyway. Who did the characters see as their neighbor? Which of these characters is acting like a neighbor? And of course, the bottom line of the story is it's the unlikely Samaritan the one you don't expect to show goodness. Boy, Jesus really socked it to these people. There's so much to think about here for us in our day. How conscious am I of my filters, what they exclude from my awareness and consciousness? The filters, how aware am I of the filters that others are wearing? Have I drawn lines based on my personal comfort? Am I aware of individuals in my circle of nearness who seem to be isolated? Is there a bit of NIMBY in me? You know what NIMBY is, don't you? And NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. I believe in all the poor people, but if they sent up tent and in my backyard, uh, they're not going to be there long. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor and what kind of neighbor am I? Am I an across the street neighbor? Am I a bandage your wounds neighbor? Am I a feet together in the pool neighbor? Who knows who you may bump into on the road from Pasadena to Phoenix or on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We're all on the road. We all have a daily challenge to widen our definition of who is my neighbor. Lord, this is a great challenge to us. Help us not to see how well this lesson applies to other people, but help us to apply it to ourselves, to our own filters, our own blindness, and help us to accept this radical question of Jesus deep in our souls. In his name we pray. Amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.